I spaced that. I did brilliant. Yeah, like, did you just move forward, Essie? I, I, I love that, that you just moved your forward into the youth space. <laughs> yeah, you're good, you're good. You're all right, don't panic, don't panic. Okay, I came across some research the other day um, that said that over our lifetime, we spend on average the, the equivalent of two and a half days looking for things. Okay, that's 5,000 hours of our lives, okay? Um, in our house, I hazard it would be a little bit more than that. Um, I feel like we're forever going, where's my phone? Where's this? Where's that? Um, but a few weeks ago, um, I lost my Bible. I had it on the Sunday. You remember this small group, people? Yes, I had it on the Sunday. And for a couple of days after that, I had just used my Bible on my phone. And then come midweek, I was looking for it, and I could not find it anywhere. I kind of retraced my steps. Um, I knew that I'd not taken it out of the house, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And what I felt in that moment was this rising sense of panic. A kind of, no, in the kind of pit of my stomach. And you might think that a bit of an overreaction, but the thing is, it has happened to me before. Years ago, I had a favorite Bible, um, one that I'd been given when I was baptized. And over the years, it had become well-worn with bits underlined and notes scribbled in it um, and, you know, in the margins, a bit like this one now. Um, and there were verses that I'd go back to again and again, and I knew exactly where they were on the page, so I'd look in that side of the page for it. And I couldn't find it, and to this day, I still don't know uh, where it went. So the other week when it happened again, what I felt in that moment was that, ah, it's happened again. And all of a sudden, the feelings from the first time round felt like they came crashing in on top of the feelings that I was having this time round. Now, as it happens, Russ and Betty were around. They could see that I was kind of getting a little bit frantic. So they helped me have a look. And lo and behold, Russ found it tucked underneath the duvet at the end of our bed. So somehow or other... I'd flip the duvet covers on and there it over. So, you know, panic over. But I noticed in that moment the feelings that I felt at the time. And what I felt in that moment was loss, the loss of something important. And, you know, if that kind of intensity of feeling can happen just with the loss of a thing, admittedly an important thing, then how much more do we experience when we lose something even more precious? You know, we are people who experience loss in different ways again and again over our lifetime. Losing a precious thing, losing love, losing friendship, the loss of a hope, a dream, an opportunity, maybe the loss of your reputation, the loss of a loved one, the loss of not being able to protect the ones that we love. You know, we encounter and we experience loss all around us. And these experiences evoke strong emotions in us. And part of what we feel in that moment is grief. And over time, what can happen is this accumulative experience of loss, both big and small, that can debilitate us without us even knowing. And so as we come towards the end of this series we've been doing on the Holy Spirit, we're going to be looking at the part that he plays as we consider our grief. Everyone's thinking, whoa, nice sunny morning. Whoa, okay, boom. Okay, the word lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It is a wailing. It is a heartfelt complaint. 
And it's when we experience um, those things that feel like ashes to us. It's when we mourn deeply. It's something that engages our hearts, our minds, our bodies. It's something that happens in our gut. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to ask the question, what do we do with our grief? And to help us do that, we're going to look at the best person to follow, and that is Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to John chapter 11? And we're going to read an account of something that happened from verses 17 to 44. So it's John chapter 11. Find it in your Bible. Find it on uh, your phone. If you've not got a Bible and you'd like one, go grab one from the back from the information table. Brilliant. Okay. So, I'm a little bit panicked because Alex has just walked out. Ben, can you? Oh, you're on. You're on it. Nice one. Excellent. Okay. John chapter 11. On his arrival. Oh, sorry. Let me just give you a little bit of context. Okay. Um, in this passage, we're about to read. Um, it's about Lazarus, Mary and, Ma- and Martha's brother, who was a dear, dear friend of Jesus's, and he had recently died. Now, a couple of days before, Jesus had heard that this was about to happen, but he didn't drop everything at the time to go and heal him. He had a different time frame and purpose in mind. And so we come to the story today after Lazarus has died, while people are in the thick of their grief. This is where we kind of come to this story. So verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So this morning, we're going to walk through this story a bit and pick out some things that happen. And as we walk through the passage, I want to encourage you to be open to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you and doing in you, where he might be putting his finger on some pain or some areas of grief or or loss or your lament. So let's just quickly pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come in your tenderness and with your love. And may this place be a safe space for us to deeply meet with you. Amen. So firstly, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. There is a tendency for us to stay at home and to seek shelter and protection, to hunker down on our own and to gather loved ones around us when we are full of grief. And Mary is surrounded by others and she is surrounded by her grief. And she stays back while her sister goes to greet Jesus. Now, there could be all sorts of practical reasons why Mary stayed at home. We don't know. Maybe she sends Martha to do the hellos while she hosts and mourns with the other mourners. Maybe she just can't face being out there in the cold light of day with this kind of new reality of her brother not being around. Maybe she's just hurting too much to move her heart, her mind, and her body to a different physical space, even though Jesus is on his way. Maybe she's just doing the healthy thing of grieving. You know, whatever the reason, she stays at home. And I wonder if an important thing to notice here is that in this moment, there is a physical distance between her and Jesus. I'm just going to leave that there with you. And when Martha meets Jesus, she says something to Mary that Mary then, sorry, she says something that Mary then repeats later. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, it's a cry of where were you? If you love me and you love the people that I love, where were you? If you care for me, where were you? If you can do anything and you can turn lives around, where were you? If you are who you say you are, where were you? And if we're honest, we can often feel these things in the middle of our loss. Where were you, Lord? If you had been here, this thing might not have happened. 
Why did you not come and change it in the moment? Why did you not hear my cry when things were first going wrong? They are questions of lament. They're long, hard, internal groans and cries of anguish. And sometimes when faced with these questions, we try to shut them away or keep them quiet because if we consider them for too long, it can hurt too much. And things are not going to change now anyway. The damage is done, so we push them down, deep, deep down, and our grief goes about its silent work in our bones. So Martha has this conversation with Jesus about who he is, and then she goes to find her sister Mary. And her words are, the teacher is here, and he is asking for you. So there are two parts of this. Jesus is here. He is not far. He is close. He is right here. The person that you longed for is here. And the second part is he is asking for you. Jesus calls out to us in our grief. Jesus gives us this personal invitation to come close. He asks after us, come to me. I know you're hurting. Invite me into your grief. Let's look at this together. Let's face this together. And what we see that if we look close enough is that Jesus feels the grief too. He says, come to me with all your sadness, all the weight that is upon your shoulders. Come with your weeping. Come with your questions. Come with your rage. Come close. So The work of lament is a movement towards God in the middle of our grief, in the middle of our sorrow and pain, our doubts and our questions. It's a movement towards him. And what's Mary's response when she hears that Jesus is asking for her? She gets up quickly and goes to him. In the middle of all this pain, she knows this Jesus. He is her dear, dear friend. And so she runs to him and she falls at his feet and she weeps and she weeps. Weeping at the feet of Jesus is sometimes the only thing we can do when faced with our pain. When we grapple with the where were you and then we choose to come close anyway, our only response is to weep, to know that he knows, to know that he cares and to know that he is with us. And for some of you, um, you will know um, uh, that over the recent weeks and months and years, you know, we as a family have faced some loss. Some of you will have heard some of that story a few weeks ago. And some of you are facing loss and grief right now. Maybe the loss of a loved one, the loss of a hope or a dream or an opportunity, the loss of something happening to someone you love, and not being able to do anything about it, maybe the loss of failure, the loss of your health, the loss of the health of someone you love. And the invitation this morning is to come to the feet of Jesus, to do this hard work of lament. And it is hard work because every fiber in our body aches with the pain, and every ounce of our being wants to avoid feeling that. And we don't want others to see. And for some of us, shame is tied up in our grief because we couldn't stop what happened or we played a part in it somehow 
or we made poor choices, or we didn't realise what was going on at the time. Loads and loads of things can get tied up in our grief. And we'll do anything to keep that shame out of the light. But Jesus says, come to me, come and weep. I am here. And Jesus' response to Mary and his response to us is that he is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus wept. And there's something about the shortness of that sentence in that passage. There's no glossing over the pain. It's literally two words, full stop. Jesus wept, boom. There's no shushing it. There's no covering it over. There's no quickly moving on. With those two words, we are somehow to kind of linger in that place. Jesus wept to sit with our grief in the presence of Jesus. He feels it. Not just his own personal grief at the loss of a friend, but also Mary and Martha's grief too. Jesus knows what grief feels like. The prophet Isaiah says in uh, chapter uh, 53 and verse 3, he talks about Jesus as being a man of sorrows, someone who was acquainted with grief. We only had to look upon the cross and the, the days that lead up to it to see this. You know, Jesus knows what it is to grieve, to lament. He knows suffering. He knows of hard things. And his heart is full of compassion towards us. So these places, you know, these, these deep longings that we have that sometimes maybe have not, um, not been met, Maybe these places where we felt alone, these places where we felt stuck, for a long time stuck. Those places, those places of our loss, he invites us to come to him with those. And as we do this work of lament, of bringing our pain and our groaning and our sighing and all the rest of it, as we tell our stories truly in the company of people that we trust, as we do this, Jesus shows up. Jesus comes in that holy, vulnerable space and reassures us that he knows that he has seen us and his heart is broken. And as we go a little further into the story, Jesus says this, take away the stone. Stones that were rolled in front of tombs were big, hefty, weighty things. The whole purpose was to keep things out and to keep things in. And it would have taken effort and intention to take the stone away. And we'll come on to the sister's response in a minute, but Jesus' words are spoken to us as well. We encase our pain with big, hard tombstones that we roll in front of it to keep things in and to keep things out. And in doing so, there's just more dying and more shutting out of the possibility of light and life. But Jesus says, take the stone away. That place, that thing that is the subject of your grief, let's venture inside. That thing that holds your grief tight shut, sealed in the dark, open it up so that I can come in. And Martha's response is, but Lord... But, Lord, it's a massive 
But, Lord, the reality of it is that if something has been dead for a few days, it's going to smell. It is not going to be nice. It's going to be distressing. And when it comes to our own grief, when it comes to doing the work of lament, our response is often the same. But, Lord, if we open this up, it's going to be offensive to our senses. And whilst we might choose to come close when Jesus asks for us, there's often this push and this pull within us. I need you, Lord, I'm grieving. But at the same time, I want to keep this thing locked tight within me because it's scary to let it out. There's going to be a stench. The loss, the decay that I feel will have festered. Lament will have had its time to do its work. Pain will have had time to do its work. And what Jesus gives the sister in this moment is this invitation. They say, but Lord, and he says, if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. And while, when he's saying that, he's saying, trust me. Trust me that in your lament, out of this pain, beauty can come because I am here. And the work of lament is this movement towards God in the middle of our grief. It's a movement towards the person who is beauty himself. Now, I alluded to it earlier, but um, those of you who were here a few weeks ago will have heard um, our daughter's testimony um, uh, when she was here, back from uni. Um, And you will know something of... um, what went on in our family, what has been going on the last few years. Um, There were times when we felt so laid low, when we felt barely able to stand because of the pain that we felt, when we wept at the feet of Jesus and cried more tears than we knew we had in us, uh, when we wailed and raged, when we wondered why God did not intervene when and how we wanted him to. There were times when we wept with some of you, agonizing that things were not different to the way that they were. And yet, at the same time, we knew that God was with us. And that might sound so strange that those two opposing things could be happening at the same time, but they were. We have known that God has been with us. And when we couldn't see his hand at work, he was with us all along. He was with the ones that we love. And sometimes we have these supernatural power encounters with God where he does deep, deep works and bring deep healing in moments. And sometimes healing and comfort comes in the long, hard, deep work of lament, of bringing our grief to him again and again and of allowing the Holy Spirit to gently speak to us, to move, to wash over us and to cup us in his hands. A few weeks weeks ago, um, a friend was praying for me. And once again, I was in that place where I was just weeping, like the Holy Spirit was just ministering to me about some of the loss that we'd experienced during that time. And my friend gave me a tissue and placed it on my hand. And I I really remember this vividly. I kind of had my hands held out like this. And she placed the tissue on my hand. And I didn't do that thing of kind of bringing it up to my eyes and mopping it. I just held it on my hand and it lay flat there and my friend said to me afterwards that she was really struck by how I was holding that 
as if it was something precious, uh, like a baby chick. And as I thought about what she said, I had this picture of a baby chick being cupped in someone's hands. You've got a picture there. Um, and in that moment, that's how I felt. I felt cupped in the hands of Jesus with all this grief pouring out of me. Um, and it wasn't just me that was cupped. It was like this precious thing that was the source of my grief was being cupped in the gentle hands of Jesus. It's a precious thing to bring our lament to God. So if we carry on with this passage, how does this encounter at the tomb end? So they take away the stone. And what follows is this breathtaking miracle of life coming out of death, of joy coming out of sorrow, of beauty coming out of pain. Take off the grave clothes and let him go says Jesus. And what we find is as we do this work of lament with God, as we walk towards the person who is beauty himself, as we open ourselves up to the comforter, as we do this in community with the help of others, he transforms our experience into one that speaks of life. And the grave clothes that have bound us in our loss can lose their grip on us. That's what he does as we bring and lament to him. And for me, just with some of what we've been through the last few years, with this loss, there felt like this kind of slow kind of dying and death to me for so long. But I found that as I have invited Jesus into that space and again and again, as I've sat with the Holy Spirit in my grief, as I have wailed in his presence with trusted friends who have walked alongside us, out of the ashes has come and is coming something beautiful. It has and it is still happening. The death that has turned um, and is turning into life. It's, it's a process. It's a happening. Lament is hard. It feels long. It feels deep. But the invitation from Jesus is always to come close. That's what he wants. He wants that intimate connection with us. He knows what we hide away when we're in pain. And his invitation is always to intimacy, to be fully known by him. And as we take the stone away again and again, as we open up our sorrow and our grief, our questions, our longings, our rage, our fear, everything that goes with it, our sheer battle weariness, as we open these things up to the presence of God, he comes. I promise you he comes. Maybe not in our time, uh, in our timing, but in his timing. He comes and he makes something beautiful because he is beautiful. That's what he does. That's who he is. So the invitation this morning is to open ourselves up to the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one who has promised to be with us always until that time when there will be no more mourning, no more tears. The invitation is to come close.